It was one of the last things Brooke had told me. One of the last leads she'd dug up from the recesses of her memory. Ten thousand years of dead girls and a supernatural killer, and all of them were terrified of rain, though we'd never figured out who or what rain was. Another withered, we'd assumed. Maybe one of the last ones left. And now, after months of searching, I'd found another piece of the puzzle. I ran outside, looking for the dazed, dirty woman who'd said the words, but she was gone. Homeless, maybe? Unbalanced, almost certainly. Or maybe it was something more sinister. Was she a victim of rain, somehow? Someone who'd been enslaved to a paranormal monster, or who'd been attacked and managed to escape? Or maybe just someone who'd seen an attack and been broken by the thought of it? Withered attacks could be horrifying, mind-shattering things, upending everything you thought you knew about the world and the way it functioned. Or maybe she'd survived a different kind of withered attack. Not by rain, but by nobody. Nobody killed by possessing young girls and using their own bodies to commit suicide. Brooke had lived through it, but she'd gained an untold hoard of withered memories as a result. That's how she could remember things like run from rain. Now here was another girl with the same dark memory and the same broken, disorganized mind, and in ten thousand years, Brooke can't have been the only person to survive an attack from nobody, could she? Maybe this lost girl was another. Whoever the girl was, at least one connection seemed obvious. A withered named Rain, in a city where someone had drowned without water. It couldn't be a coincidence. I had to stay in Louisville, and I had to learn everything I could about this killer, starting with the body of Kathy Schrenk. And the best way to do that was to wait. There was a bus stop nearby on the heat-blasted side of the cracked asphalt road, and I sat there in the sun and waited. My backpack, containing all my worldly possessions, was back in the bus station where I had showered after hitchhiking into town. Storing it had cost me a dollar, which probably meant that I couldn't eat dinner that night, but it was better than bringing the whole dusty thing with me to the mortuary. Nothing said ignore and or suspect this person like showing up in a clean, well-kept place with an old, dirty backpack bursting with clothes. That marked you as a drifter, and I needed these people to trust me, now more than ever. The viewing had started at four in the afternoon, was scheduled to last until six, after a funeral, the morticians would be off to the cemetery and out in the hearse and running all over for another few hours at least, but after a viewing, they simply wheeled the casket back into the fridge and locked up for the night. I waited at the bus stop, waving each bus past as they trundled by my bench and watching as the people moved in and out of the funeral home, paying their respects, sharing their gossip, eating their crumbly cookies, and going away. At 6.10, the last few mourners hobbled out to their cars, a sixty-year-old son holding the door for his eighty-year-old mother, and I stood up and walked back into the building. 
The A.C. was an arctic storm after so much time in the Arizona sun, and I shivered as I stood in the doorway and looked for the workers. Harold was closing the viewing room door, kicking a doorstop out of the way with his foot, when he looked up and saw me. Viewing's just closed. I'm afraid... And then he stopped, squinted, and recognized me. You were in here earlier. Forget something? I was wondering if I could speak to Margot. I said. Harold may have been an Audison brother, but it was clear who made the decisions around the mortuary. Harold closed the door and tested the handle, then turned back toward me. What's this pertaining to? I'd like to apply for the job. Job? The makeup tech, I said, gesturing toward the door. Your last one.